0: to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for Saturday, April 26, 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And welcome to this week's podcast, which will be a little bit Penguin-centric, so if you do not want to listen about the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, we, we're giving you the chance to bail on us right now, if you so
1: choose. Yeah, or if you just... Or if you just want to hear two people rail on the Penguins, by all means sit there and listen because it could very well be a rail fest for the next however long this thing goes for.
0: But before we do get into that, I'd just like to to say if you could go on iTunes and give us some reviews, that would help out a lot in, in getting this podcast some more traction. So if, you do, if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, um, go to iTunes, give us a rating how you feel we've done, and uh, – that would be much appreciated.
1: So Thank you, thank you, thank you. With that said, Mark Andre Fleury. Oh, good grief. It's funny, you know, it was one of those things where I was watching the game and I drove my partner to work and came back. And when I got back it had just gone two, three. And I texted Kylie and said, oh, you know, they're doing okay. They're going to do all right. And then um, yeah, the last 35 seconds happened, and it's back to being Marc-Andre Fleury's a uh, flake. It's just funny. You know, he was 30, 35 seconds away, I think, from finally winning a playoff game for the Penguins on his own back, and he blew it. And you can't really say much else than that. I'm his biggest fan. He's my favorite player, and – Love watching him play. He's really, really good fun to watch, but he's just heartbreaking. And how, as a team, can you go out there and play with any confidence with that man sitting back there stopping the puck? It just, it's baffling.
0: Yeah, at what point is enough enough? How many times do you have to see that moment go the wrong way? Because when he lets in those backbreaking goals that defy logic, that have nothing to do with anything any of the five skaters in front of him have done, uh, it's so mentally draining as a player. Um, I've been on that end as a player and as a coach. Obviously, at the amateur level, though, it's so tough knowing that you can have perfection of the people in front of the tender and have those things happen, and it's a psychological blow. At least it was. He didn't at even my have
1: t- to be there, though. It, well, but he didn't even have to be there, though. That's the, the thing that was like I've. I've watched that play time and time again because it just, I just can't work it out. I, he thinks he can handle the puck. We all know that he can't handle the puck very well. Not at all. But he, he he goes behind the net. There was a defender there to take the puck anyway. All they wanted to do was rim it around and throw it out the other side. There was no need for him to stop that puck. The only reason that there was that there was a Columbus guy there was because Fleury slowed the puck down enough for a Columbus guy to get to the forecheck. That's the thing that, that sort of had me baffled. If he just let the thing rim, the thing's going out the other way, whether it's from a Columbus guy missing it or a Penguins person just chipping it past, it's out. And even if he doesn't get get it to work that way, he's still sitting in front of the net, not behind it having a scurry back. It's just, it's just a brain fade of every proportions. It's like, you know, didn't he cost Canada the gold medal in the world juniors by shooting the puck off his defenders net into his own net.
0: It was either the US player's chest or or his guy. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So you get there and go, he's 10 years on from that now and he still hasn't learned how to handle the puck properly. It's one of those things where you see this happen with a lot of pro athletes they get to a level and then they don't seem to get better at things. They just let it go. It's one of the things that everyone credits Crosby on is that he always improves something he's bad at. face is probably the best example that Fleury just hasn't seen to bother to improve his puck handling skills. And it's probably cost him his job in Pittsburgh next year, no matter what happens the rest of the way, I reckon. If they go through and they win the whole thing, I reckon they should walk. They should just go their separate ways. I know it sounds stupid, but they should just go their separate ways and find another gully that they can trust with this particular core of forwards that they've got because that's who the team's built around, not around number 29.
0: Well, and then there's the whole thing. Um, how did Thomas Volkun magically look okay under with these same players and same system last year? So it's not like... It's not people that blame the system for Mark Andre Fleury's failures. I, I think it's a lot of excuse making. Um, you you talked a lot about Mark Andre Fleury's puck handling. Um, his puck stopping ability has not been great in the playoffs. I looked into a stat that I found interesting. In the last 14 years in the of his playoffs, he's only been above a 900 save percentage three times, and only above 910 once, which was the year they lost to the Detroit Red Wings in 2008 in the Stanley Cup final, that year he was terrific. He probably would have won the Smythe Trophy if the Penguins had upset the Red Wings. They didn't. So, And that was the toughest part. That was his contract year. Why wouldn't Ray Shero sign that guy who had a 938 save percentage in the playoffs making it to the final? But ever since no, that so. contract,
1: yeah. it's been what it's been. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. People can get there at the moment and, and trash Shiro um, for signing to that contract. But he was young. He'd just gone to the cup finals and looked like he was going to be the guy. And it just hasn't panned out that way. He's not, he's not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. No one's trying to say that. It's just that when you've got a team that is competing year in, year out, it's, it's hard enough to win playoff games when – You've got a goalie that's been competent, but when a goalie gets there and lets in goals that have got nothing to do with systematic breakdowns or anything along those lines, you just you can't have that. And for five mil, that that stings. But you couldn't, if I was the general manager and I could get a goalie that had done what Fleury had up to that age and sign him to six six years by five mil, you'd do it. I don't. You'd I don't crazy them not for to. That.
0: No, absolutely. No. we're working in hindsight, and that's the
1: thing you've got. Correct, that's right. So it's easy for us to sit there and criticise the, the $5 million cap hit. Where you can get critical of, of the staff is they had the chance to make changes and they decided not to. And now it's come to bite come back to bite them on the ass in a series that they're tied 2-2 to but really could be 3-1 in reality, 35 seconds away from being a 3-1 lead.
0: And that's – the thing is their contract – they just don't get any value for it. And Cheryl should not be faulted for initially uh, offering it, but I do think there's fault there for continuing on with it. I, yep. When you look around the league at the even strength, save percentage numbers, he's not usually in the top half. And you're paying $5 million for that, and, th- and that's just not good enough. You want to talk about the Penguins' problems this year with the artificially lowered salary cap. And that's all true. And the, and the bottom six forwards weren't good enough and still probably aren't good enough. Well, gee, you got $5 million tied up in, in a liability that you just for some reason, you know, they went with them this year. And I understand Thomas Focun's blood clot probably threw a wrench in a lot of things. Um, he would have been my starting goalie coming into this season before the, his blood play Yeah,
1: same. same with me. I, I would have gone that way as well.
0: But they can't, no matter what, go back next year with him. I mean, if you're talking Marc-Andre Fleury or Matt Niskanen, which could be what the money looks like for it him. It comes
1: down to, yeah. Well, if, we,
0: if the Penguins were lucky, Matt Niskanen's probably going to could do what he wants. Up here, you see a guy like Andy McDonald get what he got. Niskanen's Jesus. a way way better player than him. So it it's just bad what? cap management, in my opinion.
1: That's fine. But obviously, Vokun's contract runs out this year. You've only got Zatkov there. How much are you willing to... So you've, you know you've got Fleur in a contract for five. How much are you willing to shell out for a goaltender of the same result if you know what I mean not necessarily saying caliber because it's a different I, thing but someone that going to give you the same output what's the most you'd spend on a the cap?
0: same output as who flurry well I don't think that's hard at all he's close to a replacement level player to be honest
1: yeah, and that's that's why I'm asking so you're looking at what three mil so you're saving two on the cap hit?
0: maybe even more but, yes, I think that's okay. a fair start. I'm not looking at the yeah. Ryan Millers or the Yarrow Halaks.
1: No, because you, you can't, because you're you going apples for apples contract-wise there, and that's not the whole point. The point is to get someone that's the same value of what Fleury is statistically so that you can save the extra two-and-a-half mil on something else that the Penguins desperately need in regards to depth. There's actually so a goalie situation that, makes perfect sense.
0: that I'm interested in, in watching moving forward, and it's the Carolina Hurricanes. And – Cam Ward, much like Mark andre Fleury, had a great playoff run. Now, in his playoff run, he did win it all. He did win the Smythe. But since then, he may not have the over-the-top gaffes that Fleury does, but he hasn't been a good goalie, really, for the money he makes. But they have Anton Hudobin, who they got from Boston, who used to be the backup. His numbers are way better, and he comes in cheap. And it'll be interesting to see if the Hurricanes smarten up Drop Ward's cap hit and reinvest in the roster with Hudobin, who I think is at least at least yeah. average, probably a little bit above average.
1: Well, hasn't Rutherford resigned? So isn't there going to be a new GM in Carolina? Probably. So there could be a whole new change of whole new change of direction. There. So they might do that. They might that's that. what
0: I want. You don't need yeah. a name. You just need a guy that's competent.
1: You don't. Well, yeah, particularly. That's the thing. If you go back and look at it, structure it up against the Penguins, you, you said this at the start of the playoffs. Fleur doesn't have to be Brunei, he just has to be average. That's all you need him to be. And and screwing up the end of game four is being below average. What he did for the other three games, well, the other game 3.95 games. Game four is the basement. But, yeah, but that's what I mean. Everything he'd done up to that point had been average or above average. Doing that drops everything out and people can go on about one you know it's not one player or anything like but the goalkeeper is so important in a sport like hockey it's more important than your soccer hockey is one of those sports where you know a, a floppy goal and your team just is toast and I know you, you shouldn't say that about professional athletes but it's, it's the way it is they're human they're not robots they might earn a lot of money but they're not robots
0: Correct, and that's why I think the kind of goals he lets in have a psychological impact on his teammates.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him come out and get a shutout in the next two games and put everything to rest in his own mind. Of course, and and, and move forward and win the cup. But I can't conceivably see them keeping them, even if they win the cup. He would, he has to go either way. Like you said, they can't keep Fleury in this system, in this environment because whatever's going on isn't working for both sides. I think He's obviously not playing as well as he'd like to, and he's not playing as well as the team would like him to. So, I think the
0: Penguins could look into perhaps a team that hasn't made great roster choices the last year and a half or so and, and look at Toronto for a guy like James Reimer, who isn't making big money, but he has good numbers, and he's playing on a team that has the most shots fired
1: against him. Oh, well, the Penguins possess the puck. They can't get as many shots against them as Toronto do. Exactly,
0: and you're not looking for a superstar because you don't need that. Reinvest into the team in front of the goalie. That lessens the burden on the goalie, and things work out well because Colorado, Varlamov is a Vesna candidate. The Avalanche have very bad possession numbers. There's been a ton of rubber coming at his net, and he's been spectacular. But they're probably going to have an early exit to the playoffs because you can't sustain that. They need to reinvest King, in their defensemen in front of
1: the goaltender because... I reckon the Avs stole that trade. I love Valamov from when they played against the Penguins, and I always thought he, he got a raw end of the stick in Washington, and then you, you stick him with a coach that obviously very goaltender oriented in his beliefs, and um, he's been lights out. Barley. I hope he wins at the, the Vezina. I don't know whether he will, but, but he's been great. He's been really good in that Avs series as well. The Avs Wild series has been great.
0: It's funny you bring up Washington. They just fired their GM and Adam Oates. So,
1: I didn't know Oates went. Yeah. So clean, clean slate. That's not good for the rest of the league with that roster.
0: No, I think anybody could come in and probably do better than McPhee. But,
1: you know. I think we beat up Flurry enough. We're here to talk playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have we beat up Flurry enough? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll still be cheering like crazy tomorrow morning at seven o'clock, hoping that he gets it right and the team plays well in front of him. But yeah, moving on to other issues Sydney and Gino.
0: Yes. Um, lots to be made about their eight and nine game goalless streaks in the playoffs. No goals so far. Um, easy to point to the superstars in hockey that don't have any goals in a playoff series. And when your team's not in a commanding lead of a series, that spotlight gets a lot brighter. I don't think it's as black and white as, oh, they have no goals. They're not playing well. I personally feel the absolute opposite. I think they are playing very well. Um, The puck is going in the Columbus zone predominantly when they are on the ice. Um, The Penguins have 14 goals in the series. Sid's been on the ice for six of them. Gino on the ice for six of them. That leads the team. So they are pushing play when they're on the ice. It's not as though they're playing poorly. And they also are a point per game right now. I know they're not goals, but... It's still four points, four games. Could they do a little bit more? Yes. This is not their ceiling. I totally understand that. But I'm not gonna pretend that they're playing poorly because I just don't believe that.
1: You can't win. We wanted secondary scoring. We've got secondary scoring and the series is tied too, too. So it's not it's not a killer or anything. You know what I mean? Like the fact that that we've won two games without Sid and Gino scoring is a good thing because yeah. if that happened against Boston, I believe we were, we were four and done. So there's still a chance for this team to win two more games and move on to the next round. And if you watch any playoffs, teams get better as they go through. So whether it's Philly and New York, whoever wins that series will go through and they will play better hockey when they get to the, when they get to the next round. And it's the same with, with Pittsburgh or Columbus, however, well, either of these two teams have played or how poorly they've played, they'll be better again when they get to the next round. So Sid and Gino, they both seem to be big moment players. Last year's class is probably a really bad example of it, but they seem to be able to score when they have to. So if there's any time to get people to sort of shut up and and get off their back, scoring sometime in this series would be a good way to start it. That's the only way they're going to shut people up.
0: They are paid to score goals. I mean, this is not something that's lost on me. But I think people oh, are right. so bipolar. They see the zero goals that they're awful. They're playing terrible. What a waste! I can't believe we allocate all that money of the salary cap to them. And it's quite frankly, it's nonsense. I mean, the Penguins are scoring three and a half goals a game. And guess who's on the ice for most of it? You score. Oh, yeah, yeah. You score the three same, and a half yeah. goals a game in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. What should you be doing? Probably winning the be game. Walking
1: away with a win.
0: Yeah. So, do they need to tangibly get goals? Yes. Do they tangibly deserve more credit for their play so far? Yes, I do think so. But hockey has puck luck, and that's a real part of it. And every single star in the NHL goes through goal droughts. It's unfortunate that this one happens to be right now. And people, especially Penguin fans, loved to beat up on Claude Giroux at the beginning of the year. They did. They piled on him. Well, guess what? He finished third overall in scoring and had a great season. Why? Because his slump happened at the beginning of the year, so it was more noticeable. If that happens in January, nobody's talking about it. But when it happens in the first round of the playoffs, obviously, spotlight on. You don't have the luxury of waiting it out at times, but... Does anybody really believe if Crosby and Malkin continue to play at the level they're playing at right now that they're going to be shut out much longer?
1: I don't. It's just – it's funny because you had Taves, you know, score the game winner in OT against St. Louis, and then you had Giroux do the whole, I guarantee we'll win game four, and they do. And then you get there, and and at the moment there seems to be a bit of this historical cloud around the Penguins of – not quite being able to be up to snuff when they need to be. Well, you know, not I'm glad you brought up Mr. Enough.
0: Taves. Jonathan Taves started last year's playoffs with a nine-game goalless drought. He scored a goal. Guess what he followed that up with? A 10-game Ten goalless drought. Yeah. He went scoreless in 19 playoff games last year. Do you know why that's not as big of a deal? One, obviously Chicago's a great team. They have other options. They don't have to rely as heavily on him but he's a great player. He does tons of things. He drives the play towards the other teams net. that. That's exactly what Crosby and
1: Malkin do as well. I think the other thing is that it's not Malkin. It's not Crosby. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. It feels like everyone wants Taves. Taves it's almost like Taves gets a pass because he's not as sold as being the guy as what Crosby is. It's just funny. It feels like there's like a competition between fans that, Taves has to be better than Crosby, or Crosby has to be better than Taves. And to be perfectly honest, I think they're just as good as each other. They just bring different elements to the game.
0: Yeah, it's pointless to argue one or the other. Yeah. They both are awesome and they both are incredible assets to whatever team they happen to be playing for, whether that's Penguins, Blackhawks, or Canada. Um, and the
1: thing that's the thing that's great about it is they do it so differently. That's the thing. Like their their skill sets are, are So far apart in regards to how they go about what they do and you get there and go Why would you have to compete with that? Just enjoy watching both,
0: (laughs) right? So I'm not predicting goals in game five for either of them because it's either gonna happen or it's not what I am gonna predict is that they're gonna continue to do what they've been doing playing great hockey and eventually that you you should be rewarded for doing so and I think um well a unique part of this is Dan Biles publicly called them out which that's not his style normally and certainly not I haven't,
1: the, still haven't got I still haven't got around to seeing any of those quotes or listening to any of that so I'll have to get onto that I'd only
0: be paraphrasing I don't know him exactly offhand no, no. but you know he called him out he said those guys have to be better and You know, don't think that he didn't have that conversation with them before he went public with that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's a nice public message, but how much of it means anything, I don't know. It's not like these things are lost on, on the team. He also called them out for effort level. It's not like those guys don't know. But he's doing anything in his power, making it public, using tactics that he hasn't classically used, so... He's trying his best. His job is on the line, in my opinion.
1: I was going to say, is it a, is it a coach knowing his job's on the line? He's
0: it is on the line.
1: Going outside his comfort zone. He loses
0: this series. Um, yeah, I agree. I can't, um, can't much defend him anymore.
1: But then you get there and, and, and say that, though, and you go, all right, there's, there were two guys in the back six that really concerned me going into this series, and it was Orpik and Skideri. And one of them has stepped up, the other one hasn't. And then the problem I have is the coach hasn't got the balls to sit him and to bring in the guy that's actually playing in Oopsgurry that should come up and play with Latang. So you sit there and go, he's, what is it, biting off your nose and spite your face or however it is? Yeah.
0: Well, I'll give him credit. He's made more adjustments this series than I remember in the past. Yeah, when- totally agree. When he was noticing in Game 1 that the third line wasn't cutting it, he moved Bennett down and moved Gibbons up and made a line of uh, Bennett, Sutter, and Stempniak. Stempins. And uh, that led to the game-winning goal in Game 1. By by making a choice like that, he also benched Latang on the power play. That did not happen last year. That should have happened. And he took Latang's even strength ice time at that point in time too. So it's not like he's not making adjustments. And according to the practice yesterday, he's also dropped Latang from Rob Scuderi. Um Latang, I believe, will be playing with Mata for Game Five. So.
1: See, now, I don't know if I like the idea of, of, of Niskanen playing with Scuderi, To be honest, I'd rather see Mata play with Skedari. <laughs>
0: yeah well, that's putting all of a pretty
1: large burden on a young guy.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: screw the young guy part that that's that it, it hasn't bothered him all year. It's not going to bother him now. It's just yeah, he thinks for games so well he can see he can see errors happening before the person that's going to make them makes them. that's why he, that's why Niskenen's played so well this year because he knows that Marta's got his ass.
0: That's you fair know what
1: I mean? like. <laughs> And you can see Marta's made some errors in this playoff series because the pace is a little bit quicker than the than what he was used to. So I think this series this has been quicker on Marta because of the smaller space than the Olympics. Because everyone comes at you that little bit harder, a little bit faster in playoff time, it's a bit tougher on Marta because the Olympics was, you know, obviously a higher level of, of talent, but a bit more space. So his first time in his career, I think he's felt like the rink's a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I just said Mata is probably playing with Latang, but Brooks Orpik, I believe, is not playing tonight, and they haven't released the D pairings from the morning skate right now, so I don't know what their pairings are going to be tonight, but um, Brooks Orpik did not skate at practice today, so that's an interesting... Well, look,
1: he, uh, he's been great for these first four games, Orpik. Mm-hmm. He is playing like the Orpic from 2008, eight, nine, and ten. He's been really, really good. Well, he still makes a couple of, you know, classical. I think I can skate through these guys. Still, turnover things that Orpic does, but he's been awesome with Martin. Where is one of the reasons Martin's been so good statistically is because orpic has been doing what he's supposed to do.
0: Yes, and I, and I won't say he's been great. I'm going to say he's been serviceable because I think. With some of these veteran Penguin players that we've had over the course of time that have had their peaks and valleys, I think sometimes the standard of what's acceptable gets lower because his yeah. time goes <laughs> on. I think he's been yeah, serviceable, go, yeah. whereas most of the year he's been very bad. Much like Marc-Andre well, Fleury, great. when he, truth be told, he's, most of the series he's actually just been what average you want from a goaltender. Yeah. Not great, but it's yeah. great for him
1: yeah. <laughs> which that is not right. No, that's <laughs> not,
0: you don't want your standard to be average and hope yep. that he doesn't crap all over himself. You want the standard to be very good. And then when he has an off day, it's average. And I feel that way about Orpik too, how that standards kind of lowered a little bit, but to his credit, he had one awful looking play in the last game where he missed that check um, at the blue yep. line, should not have been stepping up there, obviously. But he has not dragged Paul Martin down as much as he did at times earlier in the year.
1: Well, he, he pick was great until he got knocked out. He was good. He was having he was having like a cut no, he was having a comeback year. His year before he got KO'd it was awesome. I thought, right, we've got Orpic back. That's great. And then he that happened to him and. He's, don't want to use the word scatterbrain because it didn't imply something wrong with his head, but he's just not been the same hockey player since. And it started to trough very deeply. And you're right, he play has improved. And correct, serviceable would be the right term because I think my expectations of, of what he should be have lowered because of what we've been seeing. So you're right, he's been serviceable. It's been good to see. So-
0: somebody who has absolutely not been serviceable is um, the other defenseman kind of cut from the same cloth, and that's Rob Scuderi. And I'm wondering, mm. Latang is not playing well right now. How much of that is being anchored by Rob Scuderi, who is sitting at about 23% possession in the playoffs right now? 23% is insanely low.
1: Yeah. I I kind of forget that Skaderi did break his leg earlier in the year as well. It happens so early. You you sort of sit there and go, that's a lot of time off skates, a lot of time off doing physical work, trying to get going and stuff. And he's never sort of been the same player that we thought he was going to be when he re-signed. So who knows whether that's still hampering him in in some way, sense or or form. But his decision-making along the boards is terrible.
0: Well, there is no decision-making. It's... It's either he for, he tries to force the puck over to Latang, which, you know, probably isn't always a bad idea considering Latang's very skilled, but mm. Latang doesn't have time to make a play because it's usually forced over to him. The other decision that Skedari will make is a lame backhander, a soft kiss off the glass that's usually held in, and those are pretty much the two options.
1: And you can see him making the play before it happens. Like, you, you see certain camera shots, and, and you'll see them when they do the rim around, and, and so the camera comes down to ice level at the glass, and you can see that he's already decided that he's just going to lob it out there. He's got no, all well, the tank's covered. I can't go back to where the puck came from, so I've just got to throw it the other way. And, and you, he doesn't even look over his shoulder to see who's on the half wall or to see if there's a simple pass to the dot, which is where the Penguins sit there they're low forward a lot of the time. They get to that low dot for that exact pass. Doesn't even bother to look. Just flicks it, and then it's then you've got to wait for everyone to collapse back down, find their find their assignment, and then try and go get the puck back. It's like you've already got the puck. You don't have to throw it away.
0: Well, those are the kind of things that are going to lead to the Penguins' demise in the playoffs this year, in my opinion. I don't think they're mm. a Cup team. I think
1: You never have all year, though. You've said that from the start, though, purely because of the way the roster's constructed. You said if they were going to win it, a lot of things would have to go in their favor.
0: And they haven't. And yes, the head. artificial cap lowered for everybody, but I do think it really um, stung Pittsburgh this year. And oh, they're a top-heavy team. That's the way it goes. For now. I think next year, moving forward, they can um, get a lot better with that depth and they're going to have to to be a cup contender. But this is the worst team They brought to the playoffs since they lost to Ottawa um, before their cup years, I think. I don't think it's—you have Crosby and Malkin on the roster, so everybody thinks that they have to be a cup contender, but they're not. They're not not even close to being as good as as Boston, and— Before the playoffs started, if they were completely healthy, I thought they were the standalone second-best team in the conference. And, you know, this is going to sound like I'm not giving Columbus enough credit, which I don't want it to come off that way because I think Columbus is a very good up-and-rising team. But if we're being honest, if you took the 15 other teams in the playoffs, how many of them – if you took away you have to play East or West conference, how many of them would pick Columbus as their first round matchup? Um
1: oh, pretty much everyone I would suggest. Exactly. So I couldn't I I couldn't see the wild wanting to play Detroit. Like you sort of sit there and you go down the other end of the list and unless there's a statistical matchup that a team will look at and go, No, we know we can hammer Columbus because of this particular asset that we've got and the failure that they've got in their roster, but Columbus would be it, yeah.
0: And that's not a knock on Columbus, so to speak, but there is always a team in the playoffs that's not as good, or at least perceptually. And the Penguins are really not, you know, I picked them in five. Clearly that's impossible now. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're a cup contender, Uh, do you struggle with Columbus? I don't believe you do.
1: It's, it's one of those things, though. Like, I don't think Montreal's a cup contender, and they absolutely demolished a, a pulled-apart Tampa Bay. Well,
0: I do think what's, Ben what's Bishop this? missing
1: head of... Oh, yeah, 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 The wrist surgery absolutely destroyed them. But you, you sit there with it, though, and it's like... Yeah, you, you would have wanted to have... So that's the thing. If you look at the eight in the E's, I, I think anyone would have taken Tampa because they didn't have Bishop as all the teams went into the playoffs constructed, knowing that Bishop wasn't playing, you'd take Tampa Bay.
0: Well, this plays into kind of uh, something I wrote about earlier in the year on Hockey Buzz towards the Olympic time, that I've, I think it would be neat if top seeds could pick their playoff opponents. Uh, that's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen, but how interesting would it be?
1: Ah. Uh. See, I'd rather than just go one to eight, reseed after each each series is won, and move forward that way. That's how I would do it. The the pickiest, What's the, the fairest way one,
0: for the one seed to get the matchup they want? Because if you're the one seed, don't you deserve to get the the bottom team?
1: Well, if you put it to this way, usually the bottom. This is the thing that I find really funny about the the one to eight process. If, and this is more so in hockey than it is in, in basketball, usually teams 7, 8, 9, and 10 are fighting their asses off for about a month to, just to get to spots 7 and 8. So usually if those teams get in and they go in winning, like Detroit has and Columbus had, usually the, the first first and second teams of the conference have a really tough matchup because those teams have had to work so hard to get in. And they've known they've been in for ages. But. That's why the, the Philadelphia-New York series has been so good because both teams knew what they were going to get going into it for quite a while. They were prepared for that. I think that series has been really good fun to watch. It has been. But this, this Pittsburgh and Boston situation with Detroit and, and Columbus, um, Detroit have given Boston everything they can handle. It has, that, that 3-1 series has not been an easy series. They just haven't had a flub, by a goalie to make it a 2-2 tie. Do you think Boston would have
0: picked Detroit? I don't. Oh. I think they'd pick Columbus. No, you
1: can't. Columbus, and then Pittsburgh ends up with Detroit. So, I just don't like the divisional setup. We've both gone over this before, I think.
0: Absolutely. And I think my suggestion that is never going to happen would (laughs) alleviate all of these concerns. Just think about the drama, though. Say... Penguins are the two-seed this year, and Boston takes Columbus, which I think they would. And Pittsburgh, and and you do this kind of like how they did the draft lottery, where they have the guys up there, and you make a live TV event of it where you select the playoff process, and you get Ray Shero up there. Pittsburgh Penguins, for the first round in the 2015 playoffs, have selected the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean... Think about the, just the intrigue and interest of just that whole, who are they going to pick? Um, how about the one seed? If they were to ever pick the wrong eight and get upset, just how crazy thing, you know, cause it's, it's kind of like an fu when you pick that other team and, yeah, that, can, no, I, I and agree. that can prove his motivation for the, the team that got picked.
1: Yeah. I just think there's, there's so there's much so great stuff companies.
0: that could come from it. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. They just, they will never do it too gimmicky for a league that, that you know a lot of people claim the shootouts a gimmick i think what you're suggesting is a great idea they just would never do it
0: no but how gosh i, I think it would just make yeah. things so interesting and i would do it yep. after after both the first and the second round make that regular season so long there's but there's really no reward for it
1: well, if you're going to do it that way, do you still want to keep it east and west and not just go one to sixteen and then let everyone pick who they take? Sure. So you have the top eight teams. Basically Does anybody obviously go down? All right. And...
0: We follow the Penguins. We enjoy watching them play. Do you give a crap about the Metropolitan Divisional title
1: this year? Oh shit! No, 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 no. And that's the thing. No one cares about the division titles. Okay, no so one... eliminate who them. Who wants to see the word? Who wants to see the word Metropolitan up on the top of their raffles? Anyway, it doesn't work that way.
0: I. Um... You know? okay so there we go let's let's just can it all and and do a one through 16
1: i think that would be the better way to do it because you don't get enough cross-pollination of the, the conferences anyway i know they've improved it this year to what it has been in the past but if you get there and run with your theory of the the top eight teams get to pick the teams the play against, so you know the top five are the ones that really have an impact on what and what's they would happen. have earned that right during the regular season correct so you might have a West Coast team that you are 5-0 and o against that you go, right, we're playing them in the first round. We'll play them. Well, and it might be LA. So you get Pittsburgh playing LA in the first round, and you go, perfect.
0: Well, here's the other part of this. They invented something called airplanes. This, in this day and age, I don't know why you have to go yeah.
1: east, west. All, I don't know. Yes, you do. It's costs. They all want cost certainty. They want their cost certainty. They want to make sure they know what their costs are going in, so they can work out how much they're going to get out of it. That's why they don't, That's why the wouldn't league revenue
0: go up. The teams have been realigned. Interest goes up though. Like if you were doing something yes. on the edge and unique that no other league is doing, you you wouldn't generate more interest, more fans, more money.
1: Oh look, that's a positive way of looking at it, Ryan. You know they're not gonna do it that way. Everyone's always about the bottom line before they work at how much they can make. Think about a positive attitude towards it, like you've said, is is mind boggling. That'll never happen.
0: Well But you're exactly right. To... You're
1: exactly right. You get there and you make it interesting and stuff like that. It'd be like a, a New York LA Stanley Cup final sort of thing. You know? Two bright light cities bring interest to the league and then they'll do something to screw it up, I don't know. But yeah, having a one to sixteen as opposed to a one to eight, one to eight conference, you way in, I think, would be better because you could get matchups all over the place. Well, look at um, and it,
0: yeah, baseball, and I know that's probably not huge in your neck of the woods, but like New York, else, yeah. New York Subway Series, Mets Yankees, they don't do it East West conference. They have teams on each side in the National League and American. Yeah, but league But that's all two over leagues. It's
1: different. Yeah, it's the two league thing makes it different and.
0: But what it's I'm saying is you could, I think have that's a, brilliant. you could have a Ducks-Kings final in L.A. I mean, yes. That, that, that be stuff best. can't happen right now.
1: No, no, no. I've watched one Subway series when I was a kid when we had ESPN at home, and it was awesome. Yeah, I just think you know, that was when I was going to school and I had all that time up. to watch all that baseball. So many <laughs> options by doing that. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. The league tries to present itself as being – you know, out there and and cutting edge in regards to the delivery of the product, in regards to how they get it out there with everyone with the social media and, and all the media outlets that they use, devices and stuff. But then you get there and you go, the actual structure of the game, just get your head out of the 1800s, think forward like you do with other stuff and, you know, have it so that you've got 16 teams that can play anyone in that 16 all the way through. Stuff like that would make it interesting because it would be – it would suck for the East Coast, which is probably another reason they don't want to do it, but to have the playoffs like San Jose and Anaheim or LA and Anaheim and San Jose, you get there and you just go – because those three teams over there at the moment are awesome. If you've got those two teams playing in – because the West Coast, the the Western Conference Finals – could be a better game than the Stanley Cup Finals. Those two series, could that, that's how good that final series could be.
0: Yes, if Boston did not make it, certainly. Yeah. But why do we yep. watch sports? What's the end goal of sports? Why do we watch it? Because it's fun. To be entertained. So why not do things that make it more entertaining?
1: Although I think in this blogger's world now, I think we watch sports so we can just get on Twitter and complain.
0: Well, I'm certainly
1: guilty of that. Yeah, so am I. It's sort of one of those things. I'll watch it sometimes, and I'm on my phone, and I go, I'm supposed to be watching the game, not talking about me watching the game.
0: Yeah, that's probably an area I should work on.
1: <laughs> but
0: to segue on things to work on, Sorry. last thing, Penguins related, at least on my end. They're, the reason I do think that the series is tied more than anything, penalty kill. It's been terrible. Oh, it's this, at 75%. It drives me nuts. It. Um, you're gonna we talked last week your your beef has been with the screens on marc Andre Fleury down low and they have done a terrible oh, it's not, it's job not so that.
1: much just it's not the screening of it it's the conscious effort since the Olympic break to stop moving the guy that's my beef with it it's the they went no 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 we're gonna change this because it's gonna be a good thing to change they change it and look what's happened now your beast at the, the top half of the the zone so go ahead I went I went over this last week so go for your life
0: my big problem is is the X's and O's of it up top. If you watch the the forwards for the Penguins kill penalties right now, they do so much skating in the defensive zone. And it's mostly guys that aren't that fast. You have Adams, Glass, and Sutter that take up three of the top four penalty killing spots. and. They ask them to do so much skating. They fly out to the the point man with the puck aggressively. They're not quick enough to get out there. The puck gets moved. You see a bunch of tight turns to get back. Then Adams moves all the way over to another area. It gets moved back. He's just running all over the place. They're never in shooting lanes, which compounds the problem that you've had. Ah, If there's not a guy in a shooting lane up top and you have that screen down low, that puck luck junk can happen and go in the net and it has i don't know why you wouldn't have a very basic i mean if you're going to use craig adams and tanner glass why would you use a super complex thing up top why not just have it be very controlled play to their strengths what are their strengths it's not puck skill it's not speed it's their willingness to get in front of shots correct Yeah. So just have them get in shooting lanes. That's it. Keep it to the perimeter. Buy time. Let them play with the puck in the non-danger areas. Do a little bit better job with the guy in front of the net. How
1: could it not improve? Simple is better. Simple is better. It's like that on special teams either end. Power play. Like you said, It's, it's get it through. Get the puck on net. Things happen. It's a penalty kill. You don't want the puck to get through, and you don't want things to happen. So it is. It's keep it really simple.
0: It's Hockey, at its true essence, is not a complicated game. Find your two-on-one. That's it, (laughs) pretty much. And And if you're on the penalty kill, try to avoid a two-on-one, I suppose. Which is next to impossible in theory, because you're down a guy and any competent power play is going to find their two-on-one. The key to the penalty killers is for that two-on-one to not be in the danger area right in the middle. Keep it on the perimeter. Make them keep going. Well, much like the Penguins do a lot, play pass up top near the blue line in the half wall without any chance of shooting it on goal. That's where you want the two-on-one to be. On the perimeter, on the side, furthest away from the net. Yeah. So... They're at 75% on the playoffs. They were a top-five penalty-killing team
1: for the regular season. They were the number-one penalty-kill team up to the Olympics. After the Olympic break, they tumbled.
0: Dropped to five. You're correct. They were at 89-something before break. They dropped all the way to 85 which doesn't seem like a lot but when you take into consideration no, that's,
1: a lot. that's a short it's a short it's a really short sample size that last bit of the year yeah you have so all the so yeah. the whole year a large yeah. sample size and to drop that much mm-hmm. in that short period of time yep. means you were really bad yep. and they made a conscious change at the olympics and it's been downhill since then
0: and you know columbus is their power play's not bad by any stretch. I believe they were 11th overall during the year, so it's not like they're a bad power play, but the Penguins are just asking for trouble with the way they have things set up, and if they don't change that, I don't know. When you combine that mm-hmm. with who knows what happens with any shot on flurry these days... Uh, oh, look, okay. just go easy, all right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a legit concern. <laughs> Oh, it is. It does make the game awfully tough. Okay, to watch this I'll say ready. about Flurry on the
0: penalty kill. He's actually been awesome all year on it. At one point in time, he was in the 930s for save percentage on the PK, which is insanely high, unsustainable. It wasn't. He dropped all the way down to 911, But that is still a top-five number for starting goalies in the NHL. So that's very good. This new change with the guys screening him in front, you're, you're not playing to his strengths. Fleury is, uh, has athleticism off the charts, can get side to side. Um, he reacts to the puck. He is not a goalie that is what I would call a blocker where no. where, he, <laughs> where he lets the puck hit him.
1: No, no, he lets the puck go through him. So he's definitely not a blocker. No, we know that.
0: No, but you, you know what I'm saying with the style of oh, play. No. Um, yeah. like a, he's not a Like a John Sebastian Jaguerre. Yeah. He was a blocker. He let the puck hit him. He could deal with screens. Flurry is not that guy. So why would you consistently put him in that spot? It is beyond me. Yeah. So.
1: Look, it's it's funny because you and I look at this team very similarly in regards to the way it's constructed and how we think with its current construction it should be being played. It feels as though the coaching staff have got definite different values on different player assets to how they want those or how they think those assets can work inside the system that they've created because what you just described then in regards to having the the screen in front of Fleury takes away, you know, two of his best assets, which is his mobility and his reaction time to a puck. Because you can't see it, you can't react. It's like the the staff have gone, oh, well, he can do these two things so he can get around the screen and, and be, still be able to react. But it, it doesn't work that way. It's like th- with the penalty kill, it's almost as if Dan Bosman thinks that Craig Adams is Craig Adams from 2009 when he wasn't particularly fast then, but he's a lot slower now.
0: Yeah, but even Craig you Adams in 2009, they didn't, they no, didn't do this thing up top that they're doing
1: right now. No, so so – but he, that was—I didn't realise how fast that Penguins team was. Yeah, they
0: were very good. The one
1: that good. won it in 09. they were really, really quick. But they got away with some guys not being quick because they were smart in the head, and they could make take-to-take passes. And you get there and when you have a look at this team. After you get past the top, you know, six or seven, maybe eight players in the forward set, they can't hit take-to-take passes 19 out of 20 times. And because they can't, that's when their foot speed starts to get shown up.
0: Well, part of, why, part of not being able to hit the passes tape to tape is the foot speed doesn't give them the proper angle to do so. So yeah. it's a two-way street on that, too.
1: And, and so you look at Sutter, though. He's looked a lot better once he's got players with him who can do stuff at the park. Mm-hmm. So he's not. he's not trying to drag three guys up the ice he he can pass the puck and knows the puck's going to get to where it needs to be or he can go skate to a spot knowing the puck's going to be there because they can hit the pass and then off he goes he's looked so much better with some quality talent around him
0: i agree um it, sutter went from a shutdown role last year to crosby taking it over this year but so far in the playoffs i think sutter is below 10 percent with his offensive zone Face-off percentage, which is incredibly yeah. low. But Bilesma couldn't do that if he was still carrying around Adams and Glass on his line. He's not. He's yeah, So
1: So there you go. Some adjustments have been made, and it's made it possible for him. So a bit of depth has given Bilesma some flexibility to to try and incorporate, for want of a better term, that three-headed monster that Pittsburgh had down the middle. They've at least got someone that they can take away from Crosby. He can they tread go. water. We need you to take the straws. Yeah, that's right.
0: Stahl did not tread water. Stahl was a beast. We didn't expect Sutter to be a beast. What we expected we was at a, a minimum tread water and what we get and him. help. Yeah, pretty much. You're you're absolutely correct. And the frustrating yeah. part about earlier this year was he was drowning. Not all his fault, <laughs> but I don't think he was uh, he was drowning. I don't think he was necessarily playing all that well either. I think he is playing his best hockey of the year right now Mm. i think some of that has to do with the quality of his teammates i also think a lot of it has to do with a guy like marcel gotch coming onto the roster giving him some push from you know there were no other options sutter knew he was going to be the third line center well you put Gotch on the lineup and you're not playing well guess what happens you find yourself on the fourth line no it is good
1: that's great isn't it yeah
0: but i do think that's a, a big um part of it and from what I'm seeing right now not to change topics totally but Bortuzzo will be in for Orpic tonight
1: oh, you see that's why I'm not going over the display stuff again no he's got the size and the body of Bortuzzo but can do more that's all
0: no he beat that horse to death um I oh, do think he oh well you got Bortuzzo and Skideri. So which one of them? Well, what do you do? Do you put one of which one of those two do you anchor down some of our more skilled defensemen, or do you put them together and just hope, hope and pray?
1: Well, I'm playing for ten minutes and play everyone else for the other fifty. Well, Paul Martin's um, going to play thirty because he's. Oh yeah, and Orpik, Orpik will go close. The only reason Orpik won't play as much as Martin is he doesn't play on the on the power play.
0: Well, it's the only reason. Actually, Paul Martin, we've ignored him all podcast long. He deserves some kudos. He does deserve
1: something. He's the Penguins'
0: number one defenseman, has been for the last two years. He is leading the NHL in playoff scoring with eight points, two points each game, two assists each game. So where would they be without Paul Martin? He's been great. I just wanted to throw that out there because he's a rock. He plays that simplistic, great-style game and gets the puck to the skilled forwards. That's all the Penguins need. That's all they've ever needed, and he is the perfect example of it.
1: The only problem with Paul Martin is that he can, like everyone on the back six of the Penguins, this happens to them. So this isn't just picking on Paul Martin on this aspect. It's just the only thing at the moment that's hitching him off from being a 10 out of the 10, if you know what I mean. He can get ridden off the puck a bit too easy because of how he goes into the corners to get, or to the boards to collect the puck. Because he knows he's not a big physical guy, he he doesn't. I'll tell you what he does. He goes too. in. The, he he's here, yeah. so
0: good at body positioning with his hips yep. to where yep. he almost invites the check. So that he, he they does. push him and it accelerates him in the direction that he wants to go. So he almost yeah. makes the forechecker do his work for him. It's like almost like a buddy push. All right, I'm going to shift my hips this way. You it's, knock me and I'm you're just going to propel me to the direction I want to go to anyway. The
1: only issue with that, and you see him do that all like, all the time, it does burn him a couple of times a period because the person gets in him a little bit quicker or they're just a little oh, bit stronger than him. and. and And it's just one of those things you go, well, he can't do anything about that. You know what I mean? That's just that he plays the way he plays and he's good because of the way he plays. He's going to get burnt a couple of times doing that. And you get there and go, you just don't want that to be at a time where, you know, like some idiotic guy who goes out behind the net and screws you over because he's played so well. You don't want it to be a strength of his that brings him undone just because he was just a bit weak on the puck at the time.
0: Well, here's the deal with that. He plays close to 30 minutes a game. He touches the puck the most, guess what's gonna happen if you're the guy with the puck the most? Sometimes you it's make not gonna error. go yeah. as planned. This isn't like a guy that's playing ten minutes who makes the same amount of errors as the guy playing thirty, but somehow, you know, hockey culture seems to love to blame the, the thirty minute guy <laughs> who's doing all these great things but makes that one mistake. But somehow the, the the lesser skilled ten minute guy does it. It's well that goes back to what we talked about before that that's standard you set for somebody maybe perhaps yeah you're setting the standard based on that player when in reality the standard line should never change those bad players no, are below right. the standard yeah. line yeah. oh they're playing good yeah. for him well that's still not good
1: because i suppose you, you sit there if you go standard line oh my right wing has scored 50 goals this year was it a good year no <laughs> who am i talking about
0: that, um, i've been over that i think he did have a pretty good year Obviously, 50 goals. Let's be honest. Not to touch on that too much, but he has certain parts of his game that are less than desirable. But when you're pumping in 50, you work around them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask him to to be Sidney Crosby
0: or Jonathan Taves or Marion Hosa. Because he's not. He's not. (laughs) And he doesn't have to be. No. Not with that kind of output. And. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Do you... Um, from
1: that. So, game I want to talk about tomorrow. Game five, prediction.
0: Um, I think it'll go like game three in the flow of play. I think Pittsburgh will have most of it. I don't think they necessarily have to go down two to nothing to win the game. <laughs> um, eh, I think Crosby and Malkin will continue to play strong but losing Orpik and putting in Bortuzzo is an interesting thing for the defense core, especially with Flurry also coming off of the kind of ending he had. So I, I'd like to say the penguins, but you know,
1: Oh, you're saying that with a lot of confidence.
0: No, I'm not because last last year they should have rolled through the Islanders struggled with, with them and, This year, Although I do think they're playing the um, Blue Jackets way better than they played the Islanders last year. Um, Just from a flow of the play. Does that suggest
1: then that the Columbus, the structure of the Columbus roster is better than what the Islanders are? I I like this Columbus team is good. Like you said earlier on the podcast, we're talking like this, like Columbus are terrible and they're not by any stretch of the imagination. No, but I think they're a
0: plucky um, underdog team that everybody is on board with. And and they They're love to see, Pittsburgh? well, no, they Columbus market cheering. Awesome. Their, their arena is phenomenal.
1: Yeah. It's easy to root yeah. for.
0: So you kind of get caught up. Oh, and it is two to two. Let's, I mean, it, that series is tied, but it's cool. easy to kind of ignore that the Penguins have done a pretty good job at even strength throughout this whole series outside of Game four where they let the score effects take over.
1: Um, Yeah, we didn't need to discuss that.
0: (laughs) Yes, another day we shall. I will touch on that in a future podcast because I think that is a part of hockey culture that needs to, well, it doesn't need to be fixed, but the teams that want to be great, that is an area they could dominate other teams on if they just, instead of trying to play safe with the lead, just kept playing hockey and it's human nature. It'll be tough to break.
1: But yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. touch
0: on that in a much later podcast. So
1: anything else? All right, well, I think we're good. I think we're good for tomorrow. I predict it will be either a 2-1 Penguins win or a 6-2 Columbus win.
0: I think the opposite.
1: Oh, you reckon it'll either be a blowout?
0: Right, I think I if know. it's a close game, you're talking about um, Flurry needing to make some saves.
1: I'm thinking they'll blow out. Fleury couldn't make some saves. They kept it in for a period too long, and it just gets blown away. And you know
0: what? Neither of us are wrong for thinking that.
1: <laughs> no.
0: uh, hey, that's what the it is. Playoffs. It? That's why it's great. That's why it'll be fun to tune it in. Um, that's why the Pittsburgh Penguins, in my opinion, play the most entertaining playoff hockey in the last three years. There is never a dull moment. Whether it's the Flyers series, the Islanders series, even the Bruins last year had its moments. And, of course, this Columbus series where everybody's jumped out to that 3-1, well, 3 nothing in game four for the Pens. That was a, even worse. But the comebacks and, and just, it's been very good. If you're not a fan of either team, you got to be loving it.
1: Hey, I'm a fan of one of the teams, and I love it. It kills me, but I love watching it.
0: I agree. Like I said, sports is meant to be entertainment. I'm entertained. I have
1: very yeah. few complaints. So, he Exactly the same thing for me. Okay.
0: Well, you can follow me at Gunnar Stahl. You can follow Cameron uh, at Walshy66. And you can follow our website, HockeyHertz, at Hockey underscore Hertz. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you happen to access this podcast on iTunes, we would much appreciate it if you went in, wrote a review, or, or, you know, maybe even gave us one of those five-star reviews. That would be uh, much appreciated. Woo-hoo. So, game five tonight should be interesting. Um, maybe next week we'll touch on a few of the other NHL teams, but um, <laughs> this week was Penguins-related uh, for much of the reasons we stated. It's a very intriguing series, and I thought it deserved our full attention for this podcast. So. Until next week, see you then.
1: Catch you guys.